I'm going to read today from the first chapter of Luke, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Robin. Well, good morning, everyone. We are in the season of Advent, and this barn is just so perfect for it, isn't it? Isn't it just just so picturesque? I love it. Uh, Ted and I are responsible for all the decorations, as you might imagine. Uh, We spend most of our time talking about decorations, Ted and I. we, the, the word Advent, for many of us, is unfamiliar. We don't know what it means. The word Advent comes from a Latin root, which means coming or arrival. And so for generations and generations, different parts of Christianity, they break up the, the calendar year into different seasons. And so you might hear words like Lent or this word Advent. And during the season of Advent, we remember a time in which people were waiting and hoping for a Savior, a Messiah. They were in in anticipation of the coming of a Messiah. And for us on this side of Jesus, we also remember the promise that Jesus will come again, will return again. And uh, for many of us, that's kind of an unfamiliar thought. We kind of enjoy life. We don't have a longing for the return of Christ. But this is the promise uh, for a lot of Christians that, for, that they hold on to every single day that there will be a Redeemer who's coming soon, maybe even today. Uh, for us, the season of Advent, the season of waiting and anticipation is kind of odd. A whole season dedicated to the practice of waiting. If there's one thing I know about our culture is we hate waiting. Like who here is a big fan of waiting? Like, I went to the local tax assessor's office this week, and everyone was miserable. Like, every, pick your number, and you look at there, and you're like, why, is, why am I 100 away, you know? People are so, people, who loves traffic? Uh, I, I, um, I think waiting is a really bizarre experience. I went to the doctor recently, and I promised myself, I wanted just to, just to be present. So I'm going to sit in the waiting room and not pull out my phone. And five minutes into it, I pull out my phone, right? And I'm like, oh, forget it. And so I uh, pull out my phone, and it's because I'm in the office. It's having a hard time loading up. And so I'm looking at my phone, and it's just, like, taking forever. And, like, instinctually, without thinking, as I'm bored with this, I reach into my pocket to get my phone. <laughs> like, like Pavlov's dog, when I experience... I can't wait. I just reached my phone, and I'm like, oh, I can't have a phone if I have my phone. It would have been awesome if I have another phone, and I load that one up. I'm like, all right, neither of these are working. Can I use your phone? 
Waiting is not something that we would celebrate. Here's, here's a list of some more likely things to celebrate. Wobbly tables. Uh, adults who wear shirts with Looney Tune characters on it. Are we celebrating that? I don't think so. Who's uh, celebrating high fructose corn syrup? Not many people. The phrase cool beans? No, not many people are celebrating that. And waiting. I think if we were to choose which one we would choose to celebrate, probably wouldn't be waiting. Maybe high fructose corn syrup. Uh, we can't st stand waiting, but it is a part of the human experience. Even if we were to wish it away, it's just a part of being human, about being alive. And this room is full of people in the midst of longing and waiting. There's people who are waiting for companionship, for friendship, for a significant other. There are people who are waiting for a diagnosis. There are people who are waiting to hear about a job or some sort of financial solution to their life. There are people here who are waiting to hear back from college to see if they got in. And there are some parents who are waiting for a report card to prove that their kid went to college. Uh, <laughs> There's all sorts of uh, ways in which we experience longing and waiting. Some people are already waiting for the sermon to be over with um, so you can get back to the rest of your life. Uh, you're not alone. Um, there's, I'm sure there's many people. So what do we do with our longings? What do we do with the thing that we have to hold on to that we wish would get solved? There's, there's a lot of temptations we can experience. We could pull the bail cord and get out of here and maybe take the easiest solution like that guy will do, good enough, or that girl will do. Or you take the solution of, uh, you kind of push down your sense of longing by, uh, through entertainment, through busyness. You don't want to experience waiting, so I'm just going to get busy. Um, I'll just be more efficient. Entertainment and technology, all these things might push, try, we try to use to push down our longing. But what if our longings should be treated as a dear friend who can teach us. What if we were to like, learn to befriend our longings in such a way that we follow it outside the noise of our culture and we sit down with it and we start to learn, why, why do I have this longing? What should I do with this longing? This is the gift of Advent, is it teaches us that to wait might be a holy experience. That many of us, if we try to microwave our way out of it, that, we, that we, we don't get the richness of not only being human, but we don't get the richness of knowing God in the midst of our waiting, of our longing. That's what the, our sermon series is going to be about for these weeks of Advent, is how people in the midst of waiting, they had a vision of a Savior. That, that they actually took their waiting and their longings, and they found something sacred in the midst of it. So this Sunday, we'll be looking at the person of Mary and Mary's example of what to do with your longing. Uh, what, we, what we know about Mary is that she was extremely young during this encounter that we just heard, that she might have been 12 or 13. She was Jewish. She was not from uh, prominence or affluence, but she did have a note of pride in her family that she was from the line of David, and that was a huge thing for them because there's a promise that one day, that throne that David took would be restored. And so Mary would know that. She would relish in that. We also know that she was engaged uh, for the, the, the culture that Mary was a part of. It wasn't like an engagement like we experience. It was like a contractual thing. It was almost like a covenant that you've already walked in. So for us, we might be able to get out of the engagement. For them, it's a much more strict thing. 
as she was in, in, engaged with Joseph. Um, so Mary's story doesn't begin with waiting. I mean, like all Jews, that she was waiting for the Messiah, but I doubt it was a daily experience for her. Instead, we might relate to this, her life was interrupted, and something happened in her life that began a season of longing, a season of waiting. Like a cold call, an angel appeared in her life in verse 28. Uh, the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary's response might be like most of us when we encountered the divine. She was extremely troubled and afraid. That's a pretty common human experience when they encounter an angel. Uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. And the angel continued in verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. Notice the, the names that this angel is already giving to Jesus. The son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, her descendant, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. These angelic words might be a little cryptic to you and I. We might read this and go, so what the, the Jacob's throne, David's throne, son of the most high, what is all this about? For Mary, she would have known exactly what this angel was saying. What this angel is saying is that this child that you're being promised will be the answer to all the prayers that Israel has had for generation upon generation. They have been praying for the coming Messiah that would make all things right. And Mary, this child, will be that Messiah. All of that longing, all of that Advent season for them will come to an end with the child that you're going to deliver. And his name will be Jesus the name Jesus is, uh, means he will save. This is a name of God that he would declare that, that uh, it comes from the root of Jehovah or Yahshua, the deliverer. That what this means is his name is going to be a deliverer. That this is who God is going to be. So the angel comes to Mary on this day and shares that this advent of God's people will end with this child and interrupts Mary's life. And then it spurs on a new chapter for Mary of great anticipation, of great uh, waiting, of all around these promises of what this angel was going to say. Mary has a very human response in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And notice what God provides in the place of Mary's fear and confusion. These are the gifts that God gives Mary, and these might be the gifts that God gives each of us in our own sense of waiting, especially when we have a drastic call in our life. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God for no word from God will ever fail. The gifts of God when we are called to enter into a time of just a challenging season, there seems to be two different things that God gives people that we see in this passage. First, he gives God's presence to Mary. Notice, this is the second time that we see this phrase, God will be with you. The Lord will be with you. And here it says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This, way, this phrase overshadowed appears a couple times in Scripture. It's in a, it's in a time where it's, things are just kind of delicate. And it speaks of God's gentleness in covering 
God's people, of overshadowing, like just creating a covering. Another way you could phrase it, it's a veil. And think about Mary, this young woman looking towards a wedding and saying, the God's spirit is going to be like a veil to you. The Holy Spirit's going to cover you. He's got you. It's a word of intimacy. I'm going to be with you. Mary needs to know before she enters into the season that God will be with her. She needs to know that. Many of us, we need to know that. As we're entering into troubling chapters in our life where we might be waiting for God to show up, we know that God doesn't give us much. But one thing that God gives us is the promise, I'm going to be with you. I might not give you a road map or a crystal ball or one of those like number eight balls where you shake it and you look at the answer. I'm not going to give you any of those things. I'm not going to give you a playbook. But one thing I will, will give you is I'm going to be with you. I'm going to promise to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Christmas is a beautiful reminder of the extent that God goes so that we might know that he is with us. The name Emmanuel even means God is with us. That even as we think about Jesus coming into flesh, Jesus is the ultimate example that God has this huge longing to be with you. That you might know what it might mean to walk with Jesus, to experience him relationally, to know him. You might think that you are alone, but this season is is to remind each of us that God is with you. So God gives us his presence. And the second thing God gives us is his word. For no word from God will ever fail. We might not have angelic visits in our life, but one thing that we do have is we have the word of God. We have scripture that we have, which is a rock. It's a rock for us to build our life upon. There are um, few people I know in my life who really cling to the promises of God. There are a few people who I know who can rattle off and quote you promises of God. My sister-in-law is one of them. She has promises of God buried in her heart and her mind. And do you know why? It's because these people have walked through the storm. They've experienced loss and tragedy. And they experience where it feels like everything in life is just sifting away. But we have a rock We have a rock that is God's promise, God's word for us. And that word will never fail. If you're going through a difficult season in your life, what I would encourage you to do is look to the scripture, look to the promises of God, and start building your future there. Like Mary, she probably left this experience remembering every single word this angel said so that later on when she would experience the disgrace of being engaged and pregnant, where do you think she turned? All right, the angel told me that God's spirit is with me. So Jesus, I just, or God, I just ask that you'd give me a covering because I need it. I need you just to just provide for me a covering in my life because I, I just need to know I'm covered in you. I need to know that you got me. I need to know that I'm not walking in this alone. She had God's word, and that is such a gift for us as we're going through challenging times. Mary's response to uh, this was not just like maybe you and I would respond. For me, if I receive a word from God that you're going to do something really crazy and bizarre, I would probably say, and this is Mark's version of the Bible, if you say so. Like I would just kind of be open-handed of like, 
If that happens, I'm game. Maybe. We'll see. But Mary, her response actually reveals her character in a beautiful way. And I think that this example might be the example for each of us to use during the season of Advent. How do we respond with the longings within our hearts and our minds? Her example, she says in Luke 1.38, she says, first, I am the Lord's servant. Before anything else, she declares who she is. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. There are two things I want to lift up in this, is, is in her example. First, is Mary demonstrates what does it mean to submit yourself to God. There needs to be a uh, like PR campaign around this word submit. Like many of us kind of hide from it. I wrote it down on this sermon. I deleted it. I wrote it again. I deleted it. Because we have a problem with this idea of submission. What does it mean to submit? To submit means you move yourself underneath someone or something else. So what we see in Mary's example is with all of this confusion in her life that was going on, she actually said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to this crazy thing that God is doing. I am the Lord's servant. It is who I am. My question for you might be, how familiar is that, fa- f- that phrase in your life? How do you look at yourself? When we think about our character of who we are in this world, do we actually stop and think, all right, God, I'm your servant. Whatever you have for me today, I'm, I'm going to see it through. Whatever you call for me to do today, I'm going to do it because I'm your servant. Is that how you see yourself in the small and the big interruptions? For me, I think of myself as a servant of God in the big ways. Uh, but the smaller ways are kind of harder for me. Like for me, I, do I love my neighbor? I love my neighbor. Of course I love my neighbor. Uh, would you pull up his trash can that he left out earlier today? Man, he needs to learn to do that his own. I can't do everything. You know, like, it's in this, this, the smaller things that sometimes are the harder parts. What I imagine, though, is for Mary, this wasn't her first time to probably say, I am the Lord's servant. There's probably through her life that phrase and that understanding of who she is was forged through experiences, small and big. And so that she got to this point in her life where she was able to declare with humility and availability and submission, I am the Lord's servant. A friend of mine is named Isaac Sanchez. If you were to meet Isaac Sanchez, uh, you would, he's a chemistry professor. So put that picture in your mind, a chemistry professor, really smart, thoughtful. He's probably not the most dynamic person. He's not like the most charismatic leader. He's a birder. All right? So he's a birder. So get that in your mind. And he, uh, Isaac has led a, uh, a ministry downtown next to the Capitol and, uh, and where he organizes a group of all of these people and they feed hundreds of homeless friends and hungry people uh, next to the Capitol. And they do it every single Tuesday and Thursday. They show up like at super early. I think he wakes up in the threes. The threes are the early fours to do this every single Tuesday and Thursday. And so this person who many might say is not the most charismatic leader, God is showing up in his life in powerful ways. He is a huge leader in what God cares about. And uh, I once went to visit with Isaac, and I asked him, like, so how's, how's, it's called Feed My People. How's Feed My People going? And he said, it's going great. It's really great. We're doing this and that. And I said, so how many volunteers we have? And he said, this is the number of volunteers we have. But volunteers is not 
that's not, that's not my problem. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, we have tons of volunteers, but what the homeless really need are servants. And I said, okay, so I think you're trying to teach me something. What is the difference between a volunteer and a servant? And he said, volunteers clock in when they want to. They do what they want to. They show up when they want to, and they clock out, and they leave. These homeless friends of ours, they need people who are willing to serve their needs, to step into their needs, their agenda. And sometimes it gets really messy. Isaac Sanchez, he, he has stories that he could tell us about how he stepped into the life of friends who are, uh, who are on the streets and deeply in pain. And it has led, God has led Isaac through experiences he would never would have imagined. But he would say his life is so much richer because of it. And the reason why is because he shows up as a servant. All right? So may it be so to me. I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. How can I help you? How can I step in? That is the idea of submission. And this is the call on all of our lives. The problem for us is we just probably don't see this. And so to, to demonstrate this, I want to show you um, something that we might think of when we think of the gospel, which is God's work in our life. You can go to the next slide. Um, there it is. Okay, so this is what we think of when we think about what does it mean to walk into a relationship with Jesus? Well, we have our life, and once we get to a certain point, we go, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. I'm now going to invite God's kingdom into my life. I'm going to invite God's kingdom into my relationships. I'm going to invite God's kingdom into my schedule. I'm going to invite God's kingdom into my priorities. And feel free to tweak it as much as you want. And the problem is, is we're... It doesn't really work this way. The more I, I seem to understand scripture and what Jesus was up to, it's actually the other way. When the reality, what the call in our life is, when we actually say, all right, I'm, I'm going to seek to follow Jesus, what God begins to do is an invite for us to find our life in God's kingdom. Rather than invite, inviting God's kingdom into our relationships, God's kingdom tells us who we're going to be in relationship with. Who are you supposed to walk with? Who are you supposed to spend time with? Rather than taking God's kingdom into our priorities, when you move your life into God's kingdom, his priorities are your priorities. His rhythm of life is your rhythm of life. When you actually embed your life and you find it in God's kingdom, the brokenhearted will be restored. The meek are called uh, lovely. The people who are the servants are lifted up. We want all of that, but we want it in our life. We don't want it to find it in God's kingdom. But this is the work that God has for each of us. Even in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we include that in our life. So when we are actually allowing ourselves to step into God's kingdom, it's a step of submission of saying, all right, for those who lose their life will find it. To lose your life means you have to let that life die so that that one might emerge. And Mary demonstrates that. She had a script for her life with Joseph, with everything else. And when she said, may it be so, I'm the Lord's servant, when she says, all right, I'm going to surrender my script for my life. God, I'm going to take what you are giving me. May it be so for me. That is hard work. People who place their life in God's kingdom, they sacrifice the editorial rights for their story, but what they find is that God's kingdom is so much richer than what we could build. Remember the words the angel said to Mary? 
His kingdom will never end. When we put our life in God's kingdom, we're as a part of a huge story. We experience that, and we start taking joy and playing our part in it. The second example that we find in Mary's life is what does it mean to have faith in waiting? Luke 138 said, it said, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary's advent began at this moment. Think of all the moments she would have to remember God's favor in her life. Now, as a man, I'm not really allowed to talk about this all that much. But I imagine nine months of pregnancy always seems long. Uh, And I imagine for Mary, these nine months were a long sense of waiting. What, what is this going to be? What will this child be like? She had to practice waiting, of taking her God-giving longings and actually sit with them and experience them to the depths. You see, God loves the season of Advent. God cherishes when he gets to see us as his beloved children exercise faith. And there's few things as soaked in faith as waiting. There are so many times in scripture we find that God calls on people in their sense of call in their life and then intentionally has a season of waiting before it happens. Think about Moses. Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. Now go in the desert and wait for a really, really long time. Or even Jesus. Think about Jesus' life. Jesus, the son of God, comes on this world to be there 33 years and 30 of it we really don't know much about. Like, what did Jesus do with all those years? I think there's something sacred in that example of waiting, of holding on to that God-given dream and calling in our life. And you might experience that too. You might have some God-given longings in your life, and you're like, God, when is it going to be time? When is it going to be time? The bad news for you is that God is rarely in a hurry. He's very patient. And there's something in that, that what happens when we wait? There's intimacy with God. There's intimacy and there's faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote. Uh, He said, uh, if you don't know about him, World War II, uh, sort of against Adolf Hitler, uh, was killed because of, uh, as a a pastor, standing up against the, the Nazi regime. He was killed because of that. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. I just have a guess that if his age is impatient... It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it has hardly finished planting the shoot. I love that idea of eating a a green banana, right? But it all too often, the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that has seemed so precious is still green on the inside. And disrespected hands ungratefully toss it aside. What has so disappointed them? Whoever, and this is so key, whoever does not know the austere blessedness of waiting, that is, of hopefully doing without, will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. There is a blessedness of waiting because it leads to the blessing of fulfillment. One of the byproducts of waiting is nearness and the anticipation of future joy. When we wait, our souls become expanded. Our souls and our hearts become expanded, which is incredible because God loves to provide in the midst of that expansiveness. The more our souls expand through waiting, the more we cherish in the treasure that one day comes. 
When we wait, our souls expand. This is why God loves Advent. He gets to show off who he is. He gets to show what kind of Messiah he would bring. He gets to show off what kind of deliverance it might be. And God loves the season of Advent in your life. Mary's longing that she had in Advent would one day be fulfilled. If you guys remember the story of the shepherds, the shepherds come and they worship at at, uh, Jesus' feet. And if you notice the words, I love this. All of it heard, this is Luke 2, 18. All of it heard, they were amazed at what the shepherds said, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Why but Mary? Because Mary had to practice submission and waiting. Consider Mary's vision of this little child, of the Prince of Peace. Consider what Mary was able to cherish. What one day was alarming, what one day was confusing, what one day was an interruption and it totally disrupted her schedule and her script would one day be this Messiah that she would embrace. In all of our longings, we have this opportunity to embrace Jesus. So may we follow Mary's example. May we understand that God will give over the most precious things in this world to those who are willing to serve and for those people who are willing to wait. May that happen for you this Advent.